How many of you remember that movement back in 2011 called the Occupy Wall Street movement? So what those people would do, uh, you know, that's I'm 10 years now ago, but they would rail against the one percenters in our country that held 50% of the nation's worth. Now, wealth disparity may very well be a real problem in our country today, but one of the uh, facts that that movement ignored is that each of us listening, when we consider the world's wealth, is actually a one percenter. You know, the median income as of 2019 in the world a year was $10,000. Each of us are the wealthiest in the entire world. By the world's standards, the poorest of us is incredibly rich. There's also a biblical principle that that movement ignored too, is that riches are fleeting and life is short and material things are temporary. James 5, chapter 1, verse 2, begins to talk about wealth and talk about uh, money and finances. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, James chapter 4 told us about how life is a vapor and a mist. And it told us not to live a self-centered life that makes all these plans about years in the future because we don't even know what tomorrow holds. James 5 starts off telling uh, the rich to prepare for the sorrows that come from a life lived for a material world. It says to weep and howl for the miseries that shall come to you. If you base your life on money and wealth and these temporary things... There will be misery in your future. It goes on to say that your uh, riches are rotten and your clothes are moth-eaten and full of holes. You might be thinking to yourself, man, I get to be out of, uh, you know, the way this time. I'm not going to get my toes stepped on because, Pastor Phil, I am not rich by any means. I'm no Zuckerberg. I'm no Bezos worth a billion dollars. But the truth is that, yes, when you compare yourself to the uber-rich of the world, you might not uh, live up to that. But if you were to talk to a little girl or boy in Haiti, they would look at you like you're Warren Buffett. We are blessed and we are wealthy and we have resources, even those of us that consider ourselves poor. The fact that you were born into this abundance, though, we need to make sure we remember that does not speak to our uh, worth or our value. I am not better than anyone else that was born into a third world country. We need to make sure we remember that those riches that we trust in and we put our faith in, they are fragile and they break and they cannot support a life built upon them. Verse 3. It says, your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and they will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasures in the last days. This verse paints a picture of a man who has uh, piled up wealth in his old age and hoarding and not helping the people around him. And then that very same wealth 
that he has accumulated goes ahead and it takes the stand against him and testifies against him of what type of person he was in his life. And as wealth takes the, that wealth takes the stand and, and says, you've lived for yourself and you're uh, wasted your life in rusted treasures. And you turned your back on people in need to pile your riches higher and higher. As the Bible saying money is bad, no. Money can be an amazing tool, but the love of money is sin. We need to leverage our resources to help people not pile up heaps of money or stuff that will pass away. Verse 4 says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. This verse tells us that this rich man doesn't even care about the people that work for him to the point that he defrauds them of money and holds back money that is owed to them. God sees our heart and he knows when we're holding back and he knows our motives. These people had hoarded money while their workers suffered. Verse 5 says, you've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. We live a life of pleasure and comfort compared to the rest of the world, but we still want and we still desire and we still lust after more and more and more. And the more that we remove ourselves from the needy, the more self-indulgent we become. And most of us are gluttons and not just with food, although that can be the case too, but we're gluttons for things. We want to fulfill the lusts in us. And we try to do that by filling it with, with money and material possessions. Remember what it said back in the last chapter in James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. But you do not have because you do not ask. Those desires for more are where we trace back many of our problems in our lives. But God wants to fulfill those desires in us. He wants us to desire more of him, not more material things. And if you're that person that lives in constant conflict in your life, and there's always some type of drama, and there's always some type of fight, and you're always offending someone and pushing back, we need to look at those unmet desires in us that are causing those quarrels. Because we saw before, the progression of conflict is always you desire, you demand, you judge, and then you punish. And that's how conflict arises. And all the while, God is telling us, I can meet those desires in you. I can give you new desires that won't hurt you and the people around you. Verse 5, we just read, it said, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence and you've fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. Now, no one ever admits to thinking that they are greedy. No one ever thinks, you know, I'm the greedy person. 
I'm the self-centered person. No one ever thinks I spend too much money on myself. But Jesus talks a lot about greed and materialism in his word. And the fact is, he is probably talking to us. In this verse, we see an illustration of a pig getting fattened up for their death. You know, we hear that phrase and that uh, you know, thing that we throw around that whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? But in reality, the truth is, is that those toys are proof of the life of who we lived for, right? They are proof of who you lived your life for. And the Bible tells us that real riches lie in a life lived for others. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's hard for us to think of others and to think of them first. Verse 4 says, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Put ourselves in other people's shoes and think about their feelings and their desires and their wants. Instead of just always putting ourselves at the center. Remember back in chapter 2, James talked about the person that needed clothes and food. And we look at them and said, oh yeah, I, I hope you get what you need. But we never lift a finger to help. We talked about how empty that is and how faith without works is dead. And instead, we want to fatten our wallets and deck out our closets rather than helping those in need around us. But our wallets are proof of who owns our heart and who we care about. But whoever dies with the most gold wins, though, right? Elvis died in 1977 with a net worth of $20 million. And in 2019 alone, in just that one year, he made $39 million. And he's done that just about every year since his death. It's just accumulated and accumulated all this money. But what worth is that to him now? It's a big pile of unused resources. James reminds us and warns us not to take place in hoarding our treasure away for the future, but instead focus on things that will last into eternity. And that's people serving others, thinking about others, putting ourselves in their shoes, treating others like Jesus would treat them. James warns us not to take part in just hoarding away treasures for the future. One of the things I miss most uh, during this pandemic is to be able to serve together alongside of you, whether that's passing out hot cocoa or, uh, you know, serving uh, people in the Super Bowl outreach. I can't wait to serve alongside you. People are the best and most rewarding investment that we can make. So stop worrying about the stuff, right? The stuff that you don't have. Stop planning on heaping up treasures on this earth. We're all the richest of the rich by the world standards. Praise God for that. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's something that we can use. But it's a responsibility to use those resources in a way to help others and bring others to Christ. 
A few years ago, we did a study uh, called, What Does Jesus Really Think About Money? And obviously, money can be a wonderful tool, but when we worship it, it becomes a vengeful God. We learned four practical things in that study that I want to remind us about on the outlook of a Jesus follower on money. So the world wants us to focus on the American dream of of being rich and owning that big house and the the two uh, luxury cars and and going on, uh, you know, luxury vacations and having a gigantic retirement that we can just retire at 60 years old and live a life of uh, comfort and ease. The world pushes us for those uh, to point our hearts toward that American dream. But we should be, as Christians, changing that outlook. And the first step is this. A Jesus follower will work to changing from pride to gratitude, and therefore we see everything as a gift. See, many of us look at our career and our bank account and the things that we've accumulated, and we think of ourselves as having made it. And we look at it within, from a place of pride. But any good thing we have in our life is from God. You didn't do it. You didn't give yourself the ability to be the doctor, the lawyer, the business owner. We need to recognize that God gave us those gifts and everything that we have is from him. A Jesus follower is going to be working on changing from pride to gratitude and seeing everything as a gift. Two, we change from coveting to contentment and therefore we spend modestly. We, we are happy with what we have for once, right? See, to want and to covet is the core belief that if I had more, I would be happy. If I just had that thing that I'm wanting, if I finally got that object, that stuff, then I finally would be happy. But how much is enough? Because there's always something else on the other side of that thing that we get. We need to stop just asking how much we need to give and help people with and start asking how much we need to keep. Looking for ways to help people and further the gospel with our resources. So we change from coveting to contentment and therefore we spend modestly. And next we change from anxiety to trust and therefore we save modestly. There is no hope in trusting in yourself. There have been times in this country where people have acquired a a lot of money in stocks and things in the future, and then the market crashes, and then, uh, you know, their life is ruined because that's what they founded their life upon. Worrying about money and hoarding our wealth is a waste of time at best and destructive to our relationship with God at worst. There's three steps. Now, it doesn't mean we don't save. Right? We need to be prepared. It's okay to, you know, be prepared for the future. But we can't just trust in that. We have to trust in God. And you ought to create a cushion in your life, in, in your finances, of like a $2,000 emergency fund. That's a smart idea. You ought to ditch bad debt. And if you've put yourself out there and you've spent too much money in, on credit cards or mortgages, we need to uh, get past that. And then we need to plan ahead and look towards the future of what we might need in the future. But once we find out 
how much we need to keep in order to be prepared. Next, we ought to be asking ourselves, how much of this that's left over can I use to help someone else? Our our goal ought to be ramping up our giving so that when we see someone in, in uh, in need in our community, that we can jump in. How many times have we wanted to help something, but we just didn't have uh, the resources? If we would live in a way that we would spend modestly and save modestly and prepare for the future, then we could jump into more of those situations. Because the Bible tells us it is better to give than receive. And that is the truth. And we saw that modeled in the life of Jesus. So we see... First, that a Jesus follower is going to work on changing from pride to gratitude, seeing everything as a gift. We, we change from coveting to contentment, and therefore we spend modestly. We change from anxiety to trust, and therefore we save modestly. And number four, we change from indifference to love, and therefore we give extravagantly. I know as uh, Tori and I have been able to get in better places over the course of our marriage, that we've been able to give more and to help more and to jump in when we see somebody in need, when we could not have done that before. And I'm telling you, there is no greater satisfaction than helping people and to showing the love of Christ, not just with our words, but with our wallet. To be able to help someone and to give and to allow our heart to push our finances. There's nothing more rewarding than that. Now, some people may think that you need to uh, care deeply about something before you give to it. But instead, we should give to things because God cares about them. Giving first. It might start with an obedient step, right? That might be where it starts before it blossoms into a joy over time. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that means wherever we send out our money, eventually our heart will attach ourselves to that thing. Uh, Randy Alcorn says this, I've heard people say that I want more of a heart for missions. He says, I always respond, Jesus tells you exactly how to get it. Put your money in missions and in your church and in the poor and your heart will follow. And if we start to give to the things that God cares about, eventually our heart will begin to look like God's. So where do I start? Well, God gives us three focuses in his word, things to invest in. Serving the poor, giving towards our, using our resources towards saving the lost, and strengthening the believer. If we can find things in our lives that we can Uh, give towards that will help serve the poor and save the lost and strengthen the believer, then we will be investing in the next life and investing in heaven. Andy Stanley says that uh, until Jesus is first in our finances, then Jesus isn't first. You're not a follower then, you're a user. And Judas tried that. That's pretty harsh, right? (laughs) That hurts a little bit. We don't want to think of ourselves as a user, right? We need to make sure that Jesus is first in everything, every aspect of our lives, in our schedule, in in the way that we uh, prioritize our life, and yes, in our finances. Now, where it starts for many of us 
is we need to stop complaining about what God has given us and the position that he's put us in. God has blessed each and every one of us in abundant ways. Some of us need to change what we think is important. We're so caught up in our bank account. Hey, look, learning these truths that we talked about today could save your marriage. It could save your relationship with your kids. If we would live out these things, understanding that first and foremost, we need to invest in people. Some of us need to remember that there are hurting and starving and helpless people on this planet. And God has given us the resources. And with that resource is responsibility. And we are rich by the world's standards. And we have a responsibility to use those resources for Jesus. God led us uh, to be Jesus to those in our community, in our schools, those around us. God, help us to tell the world about your son and to put our uh, resources behind that. Tell the world what he has done for us and that he loves us. God, help us to show grace and give second chances. Let's live a life where the community and those around us and the world can see Jesus in us. God, help us to be a cheerful giver like you are. These messages that James has been preaching to us are hard truths. Last week we learned that life is temporary. We're not promised tomorrow. And today we remember that our resources are temporary. And they're rusty and they're moth-eaten. And the, th the very thing that you've been hoping for and putting your, uh, putting your uh, you know, desire and your your uh, building your life upon. If we build it on this world, it's sinking sand. And our foundation will crumble. We've got to build it on loving God and loving our neighbor. And we're going to go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's ask God to search our heart right now. And ask him to search for anything in us that needs to change. Maybe it's what we talked about this morning. We're living a life based on this material world. And, and our hopes and fears, all of it is wrapped up in with how much money we have. Jesus preached a lot about money. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And if you were to look at your checkbook, where does it show your heart is at? Maybe what we, uh, what's, what's God's revealing to you in your heart as you ask him to open up your eyes to what you need to change. Maybe it's something we didn't even talk about today. Maybe you've got some type of besetting sin in your life, some habitual sin. Maybe you've got an attitude that is just wrong and you've allowed it to fester. Maybe you've got a, a conflict between you and someone else. Maybe it's just because you've been neglecting God and you've had apathy about all things spiritual. Whatever it may be, let's allow God to change us and to work on our hearts right now. God, make us into the people you want us to be in. God, make us the people you want us to be. 
We've got a huge opportunity, maybe the biggest of our lifetime, to step into our community and be the light in this dark world. And as we begin to get back in person and things begin to slowly ramp up, people that are isolated and hopeless are going to need answers. And we've got to be more committed to the mission than ever. We cannot be distracted by anything else other than loving God and loving our neighbor. God, help us to do those things. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that if you died, that heaven would be your home. You're not sure that you have a relationship with God. You can't remember, go back to a place where you repented of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. You can do that today, once and for all. You need to understand that you're a sinner. The Bible says it this way, that the wages of our sin is death. See, God created a perfect and a holy world and sin ruined that thousands and thousands of years ago. But God wasn't okay with that broken relationship. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on that punishment for the sin that we had committed. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years. And then he died on the cross in our place. So that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. You need to understand you're a sinner. And the wages of that sin, what we earn for that sin is death. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Even though you were a sinner, Jesus died in your place. Healing the relationship, building a bridge for us to get to God. It's through him and his sacrifice on the cross. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call out to God, understanding your need for a savior, understanding that Jesus paid that debt, putting your faith and trust in him and him alone. No amount of your good works, church membership, any of that stuff, baptism, it's only Jesus. And you could call out to him right now. Words aren't important. Call out to him and say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I failed you. I fallen short. God, I know that you sent your son to die in my place. put my trust in what Jesus did on the cross. It's the only way for me to get to you. God, save me. You could go ahead and take that time right now. Words aren't important. You just call out to God. And if you did that today and you're, you're in that process, I want you to reach out to me today. Whether it's through Facebook or email, I'd love to be able to talk to you about what the next steps are. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would help us to be people that live for the next life and not this life. God, help us not to be self-centered. God, help us to be you-centered. God, help us to invest in people 
and to lay down our life for people just like you laid down your life for us. God, I pray pray you be pleased and honored in this church and where our heart and where our attitude uh, is, is pointing and where we invest. God, help us to look outside the walls of this church. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray.